The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. And from there Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered the house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman, whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epitha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. The most important day of my life is the one on which my teacher, Anne Sullivan, came to me. So wrote Helen Keller in her autobiography. To that point, being blind and deaf and rather unable to express herself, the future author, advocate, and lecturer had lived a rather indistinct and frustrating life in what seemed a very oppressive sort of world. She continues in that same autobiography, We walked down the path to the well house. My teacher placed my hand under the spout. As the cool stream gushed over one hand, she spelled into the other the word water. Suddenly, I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought. And somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. That living word awakened my soul set it free.
When we become capable of hearing, we become capable of speaking. We are set free. And then, speaking and hearing, we assume a different and fuller place in the world. And that's what we find going on in Mark 7 and 8. Jesus is giving or restoring full human capacity for hearing and for seeing. And he's doing that very tangibly in these chapters, very personally and very compassionately. So in Mark 7, we have this very distinct healing of a man who is deaf and mute. And then later in Mark chapter 8, an also very intimate healing of a blind man. And then right in between those two, Jesus says to his disciples, You have eyes, don't you see? You have ears, don't you hear? And so Jesus is indicating that his followers must confront their own deafness and thus also their inability to speak clearly. Right now, the church is struggling to speak clearly, to get to something that sounds like straight talk and sensible discourse with the world around us. And you and I are struggling now to say what needs saying in our families, in our communities, in our schools, at our places of work. And this is in part because we don't hear clearly. We cannot speak because we cannot hear, because we are deafened by a cacophony of sound, by myriad voices vying for our attention all the time. As we attempt to listen, especially those of us who've been at that for a while, the discourse seems to be getting sloppier, noisier, as if the only way to be heard now is to just shout louder. In place of perception, it's something like a dull ringing now, like ears after a rock concert. How can the church find a proper right voice in this noisy, frustrating situation? How can you and I speak words that can be heard? And can there be any speech at all that is clear in the deafness of cacophony? Not unlike Ms. Ann Sullivan, Jesus has a way of restoring people to fuller humanity to the logical and very human faculties that come by way of hearing and that then are expressed in clear speaking. That's sign language, Jesus' way, Ms. Sullivan's way. 
Much like Ms. Sullivan, who took little Helen on a walk alone, Jesus pulls a deaf and mute man away from a crowd, away from the din. But how can you tell someone who can't hear that you want to help? And how can you communicate to someone who can't speak that you mean for him to be able to speak? Fingers into ears. That says, these are going to open. Spit from Jesus' tongue to the man's tongue says, what my tongue can do, your tongue is going to be able to do. And if those signs weren't enough, Jesus gives another. He sighs or he he groans, looking up to his Father. He compassionately co-expresses our own inarticulation, our frustrating inability to speak right words at all. And then he says, be opened. Sign language, of course, is the way of the liturgy. The bowing, the crossing, the sensing, the reverencing, the processing and the turning, the kneeling and the elevating, all of that says something like, this is different. This is holy. God is here, and he's opening things up in a way that's meaning to make people full. The liturgy is intimate, tangible, compassionate gestures of divine sign language. It houses the healing touch of Christ in the sacraments. It marks out a separate space in which we get opened by Christ's word, in which we are made able to hear. And yet there is more. Mark's somewhat sloppy but excited Greek phraseology points it out. It kind of reads like this. He took him away, away from the crowd, alone. Now, the liturgy is no cacophony, but we are still a crowd of sorts here. The man Jesus heals starts in the crowd and he's returned to the crowd. But in between, he's alone with Jesus. And he comes away from that solitude not only hearing, but speaking clearly. This corresponds to the proper Christian experience and practice of prayer. Prayer not in some narrow sense that would start with your or my inability to speak to God, but in the broad sense of communication with God wherein God speaks first. Prayer in the broad sense of meditation on God's word, which opens us to listen and enables us to speak clearly first back to God, and then returned by Christ to speak clearly to one another. If the church is now struggling to speak clearly, 
If you and I find ourselves laboring to say what needs saying in a voice that's not just another shout and doesn't just add to the din around us, then the first order of business is to address our hearing problem. And Jesus is quite willing to do just that. He has a whole language of sign and gesture and touch that opens us to him and returns us to others in a new way. And beyond that, he offers us the special intimacy of prayer, where in the silence of a solitude with God, we learn to speak after God's own voice. He offers us a place where a distinct speech becomes clear. And when that happens, you and I and the church are having our very best day with clear thought and insight returning, with mystery deepening, with meaning becoming apparent, and with the capacity for a kind of speaking that, as young Helen said, gives the soul light, hope, and joy, and sets it free. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.